This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Well, guys, before we start this episode, I got one question. And I need to ask the Whammy something. Yo! Hey, Whammy, is there any truth to the rumor that if you were offered the job of Speaker of the House, would you accept it? Yes, I'll run for Speaker of the House, and I will raise your taxes. <laughs> oh, Whammy, that's Boing. pathetic. Get out of here. I don't want to hear that. I don't want you raising my taxes. Who do you think you are, IRS? That's a wrestler, by the way. No, I thought it was... Mr. Black. Okay, I'm out of here. Okay. We are the most amateur podcast $2 can buy. Two dollars. Two dollars. A buck ninety-eight. Okay. Oh. You win the prize. Sing it. Take the cake. This is it was a thing on TV. Punisher! Control! Hey, before I change my mind! I give you Super Train! Episode 340, submission number 1386, Sorota's Court. Y'all been waiting for this one. Sorota's Court aired on NBC from December 1st, 1976 to April 13th, 1977 for 13 episodes, three of which went unaired. Or four episodes might have uh, not been aired. Depends on uh, where you're getting your info from. This is the city. It could be your city. Lucky for you, it's not. What a jungle. Yes, this city, like many others, is a victim of rising crime. Tell me, I live with bars on my windows while the crooks are out on the streets. I bought one of those Doberman dogs. They beat him up. And where does the average citizen find justice? Not here, buddy. Ooh, could we use Superman now? Ah, nobody cares. Nobody? What about the Honorable Matthew J. Sorota of Night Court? Oh, he's the one who's tough but fair. Oh, yeah, he's a nice man. Where is the best defense against the rising tide of crime? Where is a civil servant who is working overtime? Where is a man who gives the law his heartiest support? I will tell you where Sorota is caught. Where is it that the down and out can get an even break? Where is a place of government where no one's on the take? Where is a hall of justice of a very different sort? Okay, kids, I'm going to tell you a story. Once upon a time, there was a no-nonsense judge who blended common sense and humor. And he dealt with a clerk, a private attorney, a public defender, a district attorney, and a bailiff. So you're saying this wasn't Judge Gary Busey? No. You included the lawyers and all that, and you sort of disqualified Gary Busey, okay. Yeah, 
Gary Busey has lawyers? What? What is this nonsense? Pet justice! So yeah, we have a night court judge whose courtroom included an arrogant district attorney who considered himself a ladies' man, a more level-headed female public defender, an incredibly dense bailiff, and the endlessly colorful parade of characters whose cases the judge presided over. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yeah, but that's seven years down the line. Or 47, if you're talking about reboots. Oh! Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why we put this on the schedule this week, because the revival of Night Court is coming. Yep, with Melissa Rauch as Harry Stone's daughter. Also a prominent jurist. Also, let's not bury the lead. Dan Fielding is back. John Larroquette. But I have a question. Does he still have his mojo? Well, you know, there's certain pills that are out there. Right, Frank Thomas? What the hell is that? That's eugenics. But that's Willem Dafoe. Not Frank Thomas, but whatever. Well, Frank Thomas pitches it is what I'm getting at. Oh, yeah. By the way, special shout out to Adam Nita for the uh, description of this program. Because true story, I saw this on his uh, Facebook page. Then I remembered, wait a minute, Night Court's coming back. Let's put this episode on with Night Court. Because this is actually one of the uh, most brilliant but canceled, apparently, court series ever to come out of the 70s. Who knew? Yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Before we talk about the uh, episodes and the reviews, let's talk about the denizens of Sorota's court. We have, of course, the titular judge, Matthew J. Sorota, is played by Michael Constantine, who you would remember as a star turn as Gus Portokolos in My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Where else you would know uh, Michael Constantine from is he was the principal, Principal Seymour Kaufman, on Room 222. And he also played the sorcerer in the original Electro Woman and Dina Girl, who also had another person from Room 222, Judy Stranges. And then we have court clerk Marine O'Connor, with whom Sirota had an on-again, off-again affair, played by Cynthia Harris, who actually played Wallace Simpson in the movie Edward and Mrs. Simpson, which is a biographical drama about the real-life King Edward who abdicated the throne to a Mary and American. Again, the more things change. But aside from that, she played Sylvia Buckman in, like, three-quarters of the run of Mad About You. If I'm not mistaken, that was uh, Paul Reiser's character's mom. I never saw Mad About You, so I don't know. I didn't either. Then we have public defender Gail Goodman, played by Kathleen Miller, who is just... If you've ever seen the one clip from the uh, Tonight Show, she was just an absolutely sheepish public defender. She hasn't been in much, actually. This is like the longest she's ever been in something. Although she did play two different roles in two different episodes of Starsky and Hutch. 
Then we have the assistant district attorney, the lecherous assistant district attorney, H.R. Bud Nugent, played by the one, the only, Fred Willard. Talking about Fernwood tonight. Talking about America tonight. Talking about, God, what hasn't Fred Willard been in? I think we can safely say future Hall of Famer. Definitely. And don't forget, he was in Wally. He was the president of the By and Large Corporation. Oh, yeah. He did not play a character or an animated character. That was actually his face in a video. Yes, it was. But hold on a second, if I can get it real quick, because I got it for Christmas. Oh, oh, this the is cri- interesting. The Criterion 4K release of Wally. Oh, nice. Nice. Oh, wow. And also, we did talk about Fred Willard last week. We're not going to repeat why we talked about Fred Willard last week. I won't say why, but Ernest Borgnine, can you say what he does best? I masturbate a lot. Oh, boy. And then we have as a private lawyer, Sawyer Dabney, who will take any and every case that comes across to him, Ted Ross, who you would probably remember as the lion in The Wiz, which would actually be the next role he had after this was canceled. But yeah, we talked about him already. He played Sergeant Devin in previous installment, Magruder and Loud. He also played Bitterman in both Arthur movies. And rounding out the cast as bailiff John Belson is Owen Bush, who played Benson January in a seminal season four episode of Maverick. You might not know him from anything else specifically, but man, oh man, does he have a long resume. I don't want to call him that guy from that show, but he definitely qualifies essentially as a that guy from that show all the way up to 2000. He was in everything from Bonanza to Gunsmoke to Dynasty. He played a justice of a piece there. He's everywhere. That, I mean, that's uh, Without going through every role he ever had, he's been in a lot. He's done a lot. And together, they see a whole lot of colorful characters coming through Night Court. The kind of characters that you wouldn't see in the Daytime Court, because Daytime Court is for normies. Now that we know all of who's in Sorota's Court, Let's talk about the kind of cases that Matthew Sirota would see in his court. Starting with episode one, The Reporter. Judge Sirota picks a bad day to take frequent recesses so he can follow a football game. A reporter is in Sirota's court doing an article on the worst judges in America and the staff scramble when they find out. The worst judges of America. So they're all wondering who is the worst judge in America. And could that be me? Yes. And all this guy wanted to do was follow up football game. Now he's fighting for his reputation. Actually, we have a couple of known names on this episode. The first one is Victor Buono, 
who played a role on this episode, he actually played through a porter. He played through a porter who was reporting on the 10 worst judges in America. We've talked about him already in two previous entries. Here's Boomer, where he played Dr. Frankenstein. That was his character's name. We checked. And Super Train, where he played a character named Misto. But he was also a regular on Future Entry? Man from Atlantis. Chico, he wasn't just in two shows that we previously covered. He was in a third. He was on Flying High on one episode. But perhaps the most known name of the two known names on this episode, playing the role of J.V., Philip Michael Thomas. I believe he was uh, one of the people being seen in court, and if that is true, then he would probably be there to turn his life around, move to Miami, and join the Vice Squad as uh, Rico Tubbs. Hey, remember, Philip Michael Thomas was also in Grand Theft Auto Vice City. Yep, Philip Michael Thomas was in Grand Theft Auto Vice City. He played Lance Vance. Not to be confused with Lance Bass. It's Lance Vance. Doing the research that we do from time to time around here, I stumbled upon a review of the first episode of Sirota's Court, and I'm going to read it right now. The second comedy hit aired by NBC last night And uh, what I mean by the second one, the first one would have been CPO Sharky, which really is a funny show, even though uh, it's on the list and we'll probably eventually cover it one day. Uh, So getting back to it, the second comedy hit aired by NBC TV last night, a gem called Sirota's Court, has even more potential to become a memorable TV comedy series. It was pure gas from opening credits to closing fade out in that it produced titters, chuckles, and outright belly laughs. Michael Constantine heads the cast, and it is a super one. He is the presiding judge of a night court, the lowest of the low, and he is most unorthodox. In fact, a journalist is in his courtroom, weighing his chances of being included in an article about the 10 worst judges in America. In addition to Constantine's perfect handling of his role, two other cast members came across like the proverbial gangbusters. There is a handsome, preening young assistant district attorney and an attractive, ever-trusting young woman who serves as the public defender. Even the minor characters are superbly cast, and if the show wins nothing else, its casting director has a solid claim for an Emmy Award in his particular category. The show also should pick up an award for characterization. Pretty high compliments there for the premiere episode. I have to wonder what people will say about subsequent episodes. But I guess we'll find out as we go along, shall we? Episode 2, Sorota's Car. A promising attorney is bound with marijuana in his possession and decides to act in his own defense. And you know what they say? A person who has himself as a lawyer has a fool for a client. Sorota has to decide how to proceed in a delicate case. One thing I want to add, uh, we said this episode is titled Sirota's Car. Uh-huh. And I know Chico focused on the marijuana part, uh, which actually is, I believe, uh, possessed by Bud Nugent, the character played by Fred Willard. 
that's like a B plot to all this because I think this is the A plot. Judge Serena's car is stolen. In a town full of crime, it was only a matter of time. And at night, and with those wackos that go to night court, yeah. So yeah, you had marijuana there and a stolen car. Hey, how about we go to episode three? All right, episode three, the election. All right, Greg, I hope you're listening. I think you're going to mark out on this one. Okay. Pitted against a candidate named Joe DiMaggio. (laughs) Okay, I want you to get out of your system. There you go. Hold on. Time out, time out. When Joe DiMaggio campaigned, did he campaign at Dinky Donuts? (laughs) Oh, jeez. That's a reference to the Seinfeld episode where Kramer thought he saw him at Dickie Donuts. He was getting something to go with his Mr. Coffee coffee maker. Coffee and donuts. So as I was saying, pitted against a candidate named Joe DiMaggio, Judge Sirota tries to ignore the election night happenings by turning to other diversions. What kind of diversions do you think they are? Well, let's see. This would have been... When would this have been? This would have been, oh, this is December of 76. So it's way past baseball season. So he he can't turn on a Yankees game. And well, maybe he has some sort of VCR and can watch old 50s games of of the Yankees with Joe DiMaggio. I don't know. Wait, they would have a channel that aired all 50s games of the Yankees on TV? I said I said videotapes. I, the videotapes were around in 1976. Why would videotapes of old 19- video- Time out. Why would videotapes of old 1950s games of the Yankees exist? I'm just making an assumption here. I know they don't exist, but how will he fill his time? Maybe he'll watch the better Joe DiMaggio. I don't know. Maybe he's got Joe DiMaggio baseball cards and he's putting them in order or something. I don't know. I got an idea. Maybe he was looking forward to that night's Bicentennial Minute. Ha. It's December 76. It's still airing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it still has a week and a half left. Yeah. Boy, now I wonder who did the Bicentennial Minute on December 22nd, 1976. Nobody? I got nothing coming to me. We might have said it in the first episode. Who knows? We might have. Oh, darn. I'm sorry. I did a search for it, and I can't find it. Aw. Oh, hold on a second. Speaking of baseball... This is CNN Breaking News. Do you know what I found just now while going on a YouTube rabbit hole? I can only imagine. All right. I stumbled onto that a couple weeks ago. Yes. Yep. Okay, Mike, can you describe what I just sent? He sent a link to uh, the Baseball Bunch, which is a future installment. And on it is somebody we mentioned last week. Dusty Baker. Oh, is anyone going to mention the chicken? I feel like somebody should mention the chicken. We've mentioned the chicken in the past in relation to the baseball bunch. Ted Giannoulis. We love Ted Giannoulis around here. And a little post-production side note. Greg, I found out supposedly who did the Bicentennial Minute on December 22nd, 1976. Aaron Copeland. 
before we go on to the next episode, we have two names in this episode, and they are tied together, actually. And also, they both play dentists in this episode. One is Al Lohman, and the other is Roger Barkley. And Al Lohman and Roger Barkley were a comedy duo. And one place you may have heard of them, they did actually host a couple of game shows. They hosted uh, the show Name Droppers in 1969 and 1970. But also they hosted, and there's an episode of this out there, even though I think it only ran like two weeks or so, not very long, Bedtime Stories from 1979. They were also hosts of their own variety show and they did southern california morning drive radio and hold on i gotta add one more credit this is for roger barkley just because i know how to make greg react greg you won't believe what roger barkley was on hold on let me take a guess hold on yeah and this is actually his last credits this is his last credit was he on an episode of wings no he wasn't Greg, this might not be at the same level as Wings, but I think you're going to react in a similar manner, if you can believe that. He was the stadium announcer on the video, Dorf on the Diamond. (laughs) Dorf on the Diamond! I didn't know there was a Tim Conway. Dorf could do more than golf. I didn't know this either. This is amazing. I can't believe Dorf does baseball, too. Yeah, I thought Dorf just did golf. He does everything, apparently. Dorf on the diamond. <laughs> well, I now knew I got, you'd love that, Greg. I, I, now I gotta see if this is on YouTube. Dorf on the diamond. Oh, no. Now you gotta see if this is on this YouTube. This could be a mini-soda in the making, friends. Yes, it is! It's on YouTube! This is gonna be a mini-soda <laughs> in the making, friends. No, this is 40 minutes! <laughs> this is like live this show. Is a li- this, this is live show material. That's what that is. Oh, opening day, we're covering <laughs> Dorf on the diamond as a live show. You're welcome. Oh, my gosh. There's so many Dorf things on here. I'm taking a look. Oh, my gosh. I, let me just give you some of these names really fast. I'm sorry to deviate, but this is too good. Dorf and the New Toga. <laughs> oh, jeez. I don't think I need to say anything else besides that. No, Dorf no, and the New Toga. <laughs> I hope that's on YouTube. Oh, my gosh. Dorf and I'm the looking Pesha. right now. Okay, while you do that, I'm going to go through some more of these. Dorf and the Trial. <laughs> Dorf and the Tea Time. Dorf and the Angry Fan. Oh my gosh. I thought there were just Dorf on golf, I thought was it, but no, there's Dorf on everything. Unfortunately, oh, on. I cannot there... find Dorf in the new toga. Well, well, hold on. There's actually something, and this is his last credit Chip and Bernie Save Christmas with Dorf. <laughs> I don't even get that. So, wait, hold on. Do Chip Eston and Bernie Sanders save Christmas with Dorf? I have no idea. Oh my gosh. This one, I think we may have to see if it's on YouTube. Dorf the Bingo King. Dorf the Bingo King? Dorf the Bingo King. Not Dorf the Bingo King. Dorf the Bingo King. I want to see Dorf 
kick everyone's ass in bingo. Dorf goes fishing. Dorf goes auto racing. Oh my gosh. I'm looking at the Dorf goes auto racing. I, I, I'm, I can't even say this. Uh, he has a first name in this uh, Dorf installment. You're going to hate this. Dusseldorf. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, Dorf's Golf Bible. Dorf and the first games of Mount Olympus. I remember that for some reason. I think that was a directed video, and I remember seeing ads for that back in the day. Then you got your Dorf on golf. That's it. So, yeah, uh, Dorf the Bingo King is out there, and Dorf uh, at the uh, Mount Olympus games or whatever it was. And Dorf in the new toga. I'm sorry. That I, I, I. Why is this not out there, people? Come on. Somebody's got to have Dorf in the new toga. Tim Conway knew a money making machine when he knew it with Dorf. He knew he could make all these videotapes and the money would keep rolling in. Everybody loves Dorf. Yeah. Everybody loves Dorf. Okay, now we're going to episode four. No, hold on a second. Before we go to episode four, I got a question about Dorf on the diamond. Do you think that when they did a promo for this video, they had Fred McGriff say, this is the video that gets results? Somewhere Tom Amansky is smiling. Oh, my. Episode four. Court Fear. Sorota learns that a mob hitman who he once jailed has been paroled and may want revenge. In court, Sorota tackles cases on dognapping, a potentially pornographic movie called A Mother's Goose, and the issue of gay marriage. Finally, the mob hitman arrives in court, leading to a showdown with Sorota. Playing the role of Lombardi, who I believe is the mob boss, William Bogert, who we've talked about on this podcast before. He was Mr. Brindle on Small Wonder. He also played the reporter in Greg's favorite Dave Chappelle show sketch. Which sketch is that? That would be the uh, Black Klansman sketch. Oh, the Clayton Pigsby sketch. Yes. With the dad from War Games. With the dad from War Games, who also played the neighbor dad from uh, Small Wonder. Oh, I'm so glad Mike wasn't here when we referenced Clayton Bixby on this podcast. Do you know how hard it was to find a clip of the Clayton Bixby sketch that was actually usable that I couldn't bleep? I can imagine. Oh, hey, one other place that William Bogart showed up that I know we're going to talk about sooner or later. He was on an episode of Salvage One. Oh, that's terrific! We gotta talk about Salvage One one of these days. Maybe on a Star Trek day one year. Who knows? That was a Hart Bennett joint, so... That was a Hart Bennett joint. This was actually sort of a turning point for the show writ large, because we went from, this is a really good show with a bunch of talented castmates and some spot-on writing... And then next thing you know, we have the first show that features gay marriage. All of a sudden, yeah, it's like, okay, 
we can't watch this show anymore. Mostly hardline uh, conservatives, but yeah. Many people at the time, and this is from Lost Media Wiki, many people at the time did not find same-sex marriage to be acceptable and thus began to boycott the show. As stated by producer Peter Engel. And by the way, it is that Peter Engel. Yes. Oh yeah, uh, this is the person who was behind Saved by the Bell. Episode 5, The Hooker. Madly in love with an English girl, he believes to be the daughter of an earl, Bud tries to persuade Judge Sirota to marry them, not realizing the girl is already known to the judge. Oh, that deserves a Susan. Uh-oh. Greg? Nothing? Oh. Uh-oh. Hey, Greg. What? Greg, do an uh-oh. 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 Yeah, the reason for that was I was muted because my mind was occupied on other things at the moment, which, if you know me personally, it's kind of understandable, but I'll explain them all in next week's episodes. Don't worry. Episode 6, The Judge. An overly eager policewoman on the vice squad arrests a judge who she believes is trying to pick her up, and an assistant district attorney sees it, as an opportunity to get some favorable headlines for himself. Episode 7, D-A-D-O-A. A vacancy in the district attorney's office sets Bud spinning as he fantasizes himself in the top spot. Because that's what all assistant DAs imagine. The big seat. Episode 8, Pilot. A new public defender is out to save the masses. Episode 9, and this was actually the last aired episode, The Split Up. A full moon brings all sorts of crazy cases into Sorota's courtroom. Maureen and Sorota find themselves at odds as the judge feels Maureen is taking him for granted. Playing the role of Jeff is Ted Chapman, who you would probably know as one of the stewards in Airplane or a policeman in Bananas. Playing the role of Barney is Corey Fisher, who was Captain Bandini in the movie version of MASH. Oh, the movie version of MASH, because we love to talk about the movie version of MASH, and we all know why. Because John Shuck said the F word in MASH. The first one. The first F-word, that is. Yes, the first F-word in all of cinema belongs to John Shuck in M.A.S.H. Or at least for a Hollywood production, let's say. Yes. It was also in 13 episodes of something called Sunshine, which I don't even know what that is about. It certainly isn't Mr. Sunshine with Matthew Perry. No, it's just Sunshine. And for some reason... It spawned a sequel. What? It spawned a sequel. It has Meg Foster and Brenda Vaccaro in it. And for some reason, music by John Denver. What? And then you get the four episodes that did not air on television, starting with The Alien, which would have aired on April 20th, 
featuring Peter Elbling as Nicholas, who thinks he's an alien. Who, of course, he you best know him as a morgue attendant in The Man with Two Brains. Episode 11, The Old Friend, which has nobody of any note. Episode 12, as Snake and the Old People. Again, nobody of note. And episode 13, The Vacation. I'm guessing Matthew takes a vacation. And hilarity ensues. And hilarity ensues. I'm going to speculate about those last four episodes. All right. Since we don't have any guest stars, is it possible maybe they wrote scripts for the episodes but never produced them? Perhaps. Because they had scripts for all 13 episodes. But the show was, and like he said, the show just faded away, but wasn't officially canceled. I guess the plan was to burn off the rest of the run, but they never got around to it. Because I'm looking at the schedule, and I think I found the cause of death for this one. Well, we already talked about one potential cause of death. Yeah. I will add, there had to be guests on these last four episodes which is why I think it may have been written but not produced, because this is such a guest-driven show. This is like Night Court. The people you have coming in as plaintiffs and defendants and whatnot, that's what made the show hilarious, talking about Night Court. So you've got to assume you think they'd have something similar on Sirota's Court. And then, because this show aired, if I'm not mistaken, Wednesday nights at 8.30... You know what else was on at that time? ABC was airing Beretta. I thought you were going to say that. And CBS was airing All in the Family. Oh. Oh, that'll do it. That'll do it. And it also aired at both 9 and 9.30. And when it was on at 9, it actually was stacked up with CPO Sharky. We talked about that earlier. A show we talked about not that long ago, which went over like a lead balloon, the McLean Stevenson show. And then at 9.30 was a sitcom with Danny Thomas called The Practice. I remember seeing the opening credits to The Practice. Yeah, basically it was a show about father and son doctors. Not The Practice that we may know and love from like 20 years ago. Cameron Mayheim's nowhere to be found on this. Or Dylan McDermott, for that matter. No, not even Lara Flynn Boyle. William Shatner. Is anybody going to mention William Shatner? Or James Speeder. But NBC, because this was NBC in the 70s, and Fred Silverman was trying damn near everything, if I'm not mistaken. Well, was he even there yet? I don't think so. It was like 1977, right? Yeah, so doesn't he get there? 77, 78. Yeah, 76, he would have still been at ABC at the time, I believe. Yeah, he would be at ABC. Yeah. But they tried working the block around in early 77. They added the life and times of Grizzly Adams on Wednesday nights, and that did not help the night at all, as Beloved as that show is, it just did not help the night out. How could Grizzly Adams not solve everything? 
It's Grizzly Adams, people. America, in 1977, what was wrong with you? So, where is Sorotis Court now? We have one episode available on archive at the Paley Center, if you're ever in the area. Three scripts still exist from the ones that were produced as part of the Cornell University archive, but unfortunately, the rest of the series is considered lost media. One of us needs to get on the horn with Peter Engel and find out where it is. Yes. And who knows? Maybe somebody finds all the episodes, maybe somebody posts all the episodes, and we revisit all the episodes. Who knows? Oh, that would be great. But the only clips to exist online are the opening music and a two-minute clip to promote the debut of the show from Carson. Yeah, this clip from Carson came from Michael Constantine when he was on uh, the Tonight Show. Yep, this is from November 30th of 1976. Michael Constantine, you may well remember, uh, won an Emmy for his uh, portrayal of the uh, the principal in the television series Room 222, and he's the star of a new NBC series called Sirota's Court, which is at his premiere episode tomorrow night at 9 o'clock, which follows Don Rickles, who has his premiere tomorrow, and McLean Stevenson. Would you welcome Michael Constantine? Mike. I'm going to add, I think one of the people uh, that stood up there, I don't think, is Ed on the panel? I don't think that's Ed. I think I saw Pat McCormick there. So maybe Ed was out that night and Pat McCormick sat in for him. Perhaps. I mean, the the, the, uh, the videos kind of... Well, yeah, that, that's Rodney Dangerfield. That's not Ed. That's Rodney Dangerfield next okay, to him. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely Rodney Dangerfield. Show which uh, debuts tomorrow night on NBC called Sirota's Court about some of the wacky things that go on during night court. I guess it'll speak for itself. Yeah, I guess. This is not exactly my big scene or anything like that. It just shows you some of the people on the show and some of the nuttiness. Okay, watch the monitors here in the studio. Bob, you want to... Uh... Uh, the court calls L.V. Tyrone. Your Honor, let's talk about taste for a second. What kind of person walks around in public like this? In a mismatch, totally uncoordinated, obviously off-the-rack outfit. It's, it's incredibly tacky. What's the charge? Because if it's creating an eyesore, I'm throwing the case out. One charge is, Your Honor, take your pick. We have disturbing the peace. We have vagrancy. We have loitering in a public place. And we have the biggie, procurement for purposes of prostitution, PPP. <laughs> How do you plead, Mr. Tyrone? Your Honor, Your Honor, there has been a great deal of discussion about this man's appearance. But the color of his clothing is not why he is here. <laughs> it is the color of his skin that has marked him a criminal. If Mr. Tyrone were a white man dressed like that, he would go unnoticed. <laughs> but Mr. Tyrone is black. And we've all been conditioned to believe that 
that white is good and black is bad, white is clean, black is dirty, you're married in white, you're buried in black. Um, did I hear a not guilty anywhere in there? Good. Case is continued. Uh, what's the next open? Oh, Your Honor, we request an immediate trial. Tomorrow my client begins a religious retreat. God bless him. Is the arresting officer in court? Yes, right here, Your Honor. Do you have a report? Yes, Your Honor. The defendant was observed reconnoitering the uh, A-level of the bus terminal and also observed approaching uh, female arrivals in a suggestive manner. He was uh, overheard to uh, mutter such phrases as LV is the best, be my baby, and 50 bucks a trick. Are there witnesses in court? Yes, Your Honor. That's him, but he only offered me 20. That's a premise that could really work well because you have a gold mine of things to draw on. Oh. Every experience in life. And Tremendous. I should say that, that there are a couple of members of our cast. As I said, that was not what you'd call my big scene, but it gave you a chance to see some of the other people on the show. Um, one of the people you didn't see is an actor named Ted Ross who was in The Wiz in New York who got a Tony Award in The Wiz and who's, who's wonderful on the show, and Owen Bush, whom you only saw just a little you bit. I saw Fred Willard, who used to be with the Ace Trucking Company, and Victor Buono. Yes, yes. Uh, sitting in there. So yeah. good luck with it. Thank you. Look forward to seeing it tomorrow, Thank Mike. You. you can definitely see a lot of Night Court there. Not necessarily 100% like Night Court, because they never went to an arresting officer in the gallery and said, you know, what, what report do you have, or are there any witnesses? No, it wasn't like that on Night Court, but you can still see parallels there. Yeah, you can definitely see parallels, and I've seen every episode of Night Court. I don't remember ever seeing an arresting officer. Well, I've seen every episode that A&E would allow to air, well, A&E and Laugh TV. So, But yeah, the blueprint was there for uh, Reinhold Wiege to uh, borrow from, shall we say? Uses inspiration. Uses inspiration. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. And, and it's not like this show is at all bad. It was nominated for a, both a Golden Globe for Best Performance by an actor in a television series, musical, and comedy, as well as an Emmy for Outstanding Art Direction or Scenic Design for a Comedy Series. So the show was not bad. It was just dealt a bad hand, I want to say. And... I don't think we've ever mentioned this. Can we go back to the theme song for a second? Well, we could talk about the theme song. Okay, because the theme song, once you get past the uh, opening narration, shall we say, that theme song, that's a swinging beat right there. That's a bop. That's a banger. I mentioned earlier the recap of the first episode, and it got glowing reviews. As you mentioned earlier, the gay marriage probably turned off a lot of people. And I do have some ratings here. Admittedly, one of them is for what would be reruns, because it comes from late April of 1977 after the final episode aired, apparently. In late January of 1977, uh, from January 24th to January 30th, it placed 46th out of 67 shows. So it was right on the cusp of being in the bottom third. 
So that's not necessarily a good sign. And late January, that probably would have been the episode after the gay marriage happened, possibly. Maybe even the episode where the gay marriage happened. So, yeah, it's not looking good at this point. And I should add that this week, January 24th to 30th, the ratings are unusually low. And there's a good reason for it. Why is that? That entire week, a little miniseries aired. Roots. The top seven spots in the ranking that week were Roots. First was the Sunday episode, second was the Friday, then Thursday, Tuesday, Monday, Wednesday, Saturday. So it may have been going up against Roots in some capacity. It had to be going up against Roots in some capacity, because I'm sure Roots was either a two- or three-hour miniseries. So there might be a reason why it didn't have great ratings that week. You're not beating Roots. It was the top seven shows that week. You're not beating Roots. That was a historical television event. That's what I mean. You're not beating that. Never, never, ever are you beating Roots. That's the only week I have ratings for, but we can definitely see the slide if we take a look at the season-long ratings because there were 102 series in the 1976-77 season. Anybody want to take a guess where Sirota's Court was out of those 102 shows? 70. No, that was CPO Sharky. So that was on the same night on the same network, but that was CPO Sharky. Greg, want to take a guess? No clue. 98th. Oh, God. Yikes. Yeah. yeah. 98th out of 102 shows. Maybe now we know why it didn't last that long. Maybe it may have been the gay marriage. Maybe just viewers totally tuned out after Roots or something like that. But 98th out of 102. Well, that'll do it. The show that placed 98th out of 102. Yeah, that's not coming back. Not at all. In fact, it's a wonder that we found what we found for the extent of our research. So, oh, I'm going to just throw out there for comparison's sake, McLean Stevenson, 81st. Oh, of course. So, yeah, there's 17 shows that are higher than Sirota's Court. Even Holmes and Yo-Yo is 83rd. Well, we liked Holmes and Yo-Yo. I, I did I get like that, but yeah, but still. No bueno. No bueno. And if you're keeping score, that's two references to John Shuck in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Greg, let's make it three. Starfleet regulations, that's outrageous. (laughs) Oh, Shuck. There's four. (laughs) Hold on. Hold on, guys. Later this week, we're going to answer that big question, Chico. Yes. What does God need with a starship? So, Sirota's Court, the blueprint was there for greatness. They followed the blueprint, but they were up against Beretta and all in the family, and ultimately, it became just a thing on TV. But if they waited seven years, they would have better luck. Nine, if you don't count the first two seasons of Night Court. Yeah, once they can find a bailiff that lived, 
Yeah, and a uh, public defender who, well, will stick around for more than a year. God, I miss Marky Post. Anyway! You know, it probably also wouldn't have hurt if they found a six-foot-eight bald bailiff. Mm-hmm. Greg? Well, you miss Marky Post, but I miss Charles Robinson. And there's one reason why I miss him so much. That's a penis. Are we pulling out all the stops today? All the no, the, no, we're not. We're not pulling out all the stops today. Hoot Wireless. Hoot Wireless. There. Now we're pulling all the stops today. <laughs> New Year, folks. New Year. New Year. Hey. Same nutty show. Yay! Wow. Hey guys, there's one thing we didn't talk about regarding the opening of this episode. We talked about the music and uh, everything else. There's a short person in that opening credits, that opening scene. I wonder if it's Billy Barty. It looks like Billy Barty, but you know that could describe a lot of shorter people. I wonder if it's Billy Barty. I don't know. If that's him, guys, he's cementing his addition to the Hall of Fame. The little guy, the the short person running around in the the courtroom in the in the hallways. Did he have a magician? And, uh, Nobody had a case. <laughs> True story. They stuffed him in a footlocker. Episode 341, submission number 990, Double Trouble. Double Trouble aired on NBC from April 4th, 1984 to March 30th, 1985 for 23 episodes over two seasons. There have been Twins in Trouble TV shows before Double Trouble, and there have been Twins in Trouble sitcoms since. What makes this one any different? 
I don't know. It's the first one to ever star actual double mint twins. Double mint, double mint gum. Liz and Jean Seagal were actually double mint twins before this show came around. Not only were they double mint twins, but they were actually trained dancers. And the two actually appeared in the 1982 Feel Good sequel of the year, Grease 2. Oh, everyone's favorite movie, Grease 2. Everybody loves Grease 2. Mike, don't you love Grease 2? Oh, absolutely love it. I've never seen it. (laughs) It's okay. Neither has anybody on the planet, so... Thank you for making me feel better, Greg. And fun fact, the twins' godfather fleshed out the sort of concept of this show, which was ultimately created by masters of the genre, David Duclon, Robert Ills, and James R. Stein. The godfather was Norman Lear. There's no such thing as a fun fact. So the concept of this show... Twins getting into trouble in and around Des Moines, Iowa. While their father runs a dance studio, which gave the twins ample display of their dance skills. And also sort of a twisted home life scenario where you have this widowed father and her employee who acts as a mother figure. So put all these things together, and it's all way too complicated. So let's go into what kind of trouble these twins get into. But first, let's go into who the twins are, what the family was like, and how we got from twins getting into trouble in Des Moines to twins getting into trouble in New York. Well, like we mentioned... Liz and Jean Seagal played Kate and Allison Foster. One is an ultra-serious, ultra-studious twin. The other is more laid-back, more happy-go-lucky, and more prone to antics. Their father, Art Foster, was played by Donnelly Rhodes, who, and we talked about this before the show, was a bastard on soap. Well, not in the literal sense, bastard. He was just not a good man. He was an escaped convict. He was Dutch. He played Dutch on soap. Yep. Yeah. He was also in, if you remember this on the Disney Channel, Six Years of Danger Bay. And also in the Battlestar Galactica reboot as Dr. Cuddle. Legendary actor here. And playing Beth McConnell, who was Art's sort of manager and the lady who ran the studio and also a surrogate mother figure to uh, Kate and Allison, Patricia Richardson, Jill Taylor from Home Improvement herself. Yeah, well, you know she was on an episode of Quantum Leap, right? No, but you're going to tell me which one. She was on the season two episode, Good Morning Piora. Oh, guys, do you know who played himself in this episode? 
who played himself in this episode. Chubby Checker! That deserves a twist. Wow, that's great. And I believe this episode, he invents the twist. Yo, here's the genius about Chubby Checker, okay? He records a song called The Twist, and you think right? that's that's it. He can't That's it. That's it. There's no more. But then the next year he records a song that says, Let's twist again. And the thing of it is, that song directly references the first song. Because remember, the first song came out in the middle of the summer, then the second song was like Let's twist again, like we did last summer. Ah, let's twist again. How many times have you ever seen a sequel to a song? Once. I've seen uh, Human 2, Don't Turn Your Back on Me by uh, Boys to Men, which was a sequel to Human by the Human League. Hold on a second. I think I did reference this. Tazon Day recorded a sequel to Chocolate Rain. Shut up. Cherry Chocolate Rain. Oh, yeah, I do remember that. I remember that. I remember that. Yes. No, I can't believe that. No, I trust you, but I I just can't. No. (laughs) So we have three instances of a sequel to a song in history. That we know of. Okay, so. Twins in Trouble in Des Moines. Obviously, there's got to be more to it than that. Let's see. Here are the episodes. The first episode, one drives, the other doesn't. Kate fails her driver's test, but borrows the car and Allison's license and gets into a little accident, which she then tries to hide. Corky. You won't believe what happened. And we have a name in this episode, playing the role of Mrs. Gilliam, Elizabeth Kerr, who is a Grandma Cora on Mork and Mindy. Well, the first season of Mork and Mindy, anyway. Episode 2, Lust. Kate falls in lust with a boy at the gym and spends more time with him than she does her boyfriend. She also tells him her name is Allison. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I guess you know by now which one's the double and which one's the trouble. By the way, uh, playing Kate's boyfriend in a recurring role, Michael Gillette is John Caleri, who would be a that guy from that 80s thing. He was in five episodes of the first season of Double Trouble, but he was in all 20 episodes of Square Pegs which I'm still debating as to whether or not we should even cover it, because it was short, but was also really good. Yeah, but we've had short and good things on this podcast before. That is true. Yeah, I was going to say, that's the reason to include it in the podcast. And playing the, (laughs) the man Kate is in lust with, Eric Cameron Dye, who is known... Oh my god, I can't believe I'm referencing this movie as Fred in 1983's Valley Girl. A.K.A. the movie that pretty much made Moon Unit Zappa's career. No, it made Nick Cage's career, silly! Him too. 
And also, he was on an episode of Quantum Leap as well. Oh, wow. He was in season five's Killin' Time. Killin' Time! Episode three. First day. Kate's school closes down. Oh, yeah, by the way, Kate attends a private school because she is a proper lady. So Kate's school closes down, and she must now attend the same school as Allison. Allison gets Kate a job on the yearbook staff to help her fit in, but Kate becomes more popular than Allison ever was, and Allison ends up being jealous. Oh, gosh. You're not going to believe who's in this episode, playing the role of Mark. Steve Alterman. Noted voice actor Steve Alterman. He was in Grand Theft Auto 5. Hold on, guys. I just realized something. Uh Uh-huh. This is CNN Breaking News. I just discovered that Gene Seagal was on an episode of Quantum Leap. Nice. Yes, she was in the season two episode, What Price Gloria? And guess what? You know who played the mirror image uncredited in that episode of her character? Liz Seagal. Ding, 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 ding. Lucky guess. So we got four connections to Quantum Leap. Episode four. Bad Chemistry. Kate takes Allison's place in the chemistry lab so Allison can go on a date, but messes up the assignment so they break into the school at night to fix things. How many episodes of this show involve Kate and Allison switching bodies? I mean, I get that, you know, they're sort of mirror image twins, but I mean, come on. Where's the effort? Hey guys, we have a name in this episode playing Miles is John P. Navin Jr. We talked about him previously because he was on all 13 episodes of Jennifer Slept Here. Oh wait, I wasn't there for that episode. Oh yeah, just because you weren't here, that episode doesn't exist in our canon. Whatever. Blame my old job for why I wasn't on that episode. Let's just say there's a reason why it's just the three of us since episode five. Thank you, Greg's old employer. Episode 5. Dueling Feet. It's that kind of episode. Oh, wait, no, it's not that kind of episode. I thought it was... Never mind what I thought. The twins enter a dance contest, but Kate sprains her ankle while attempting to spy on the competition, leaving Allison to represent the family. So, yeah, this is basically an excuse for uh, Liz and Jean to show off their incredibly awesome dancing skills. And John Cleary returns as Michael, but in the role of the judge, Betty Ackerman, who's been on everything from Ben Casey in the 60s to Trapper John in the 80s. But yeah, this is one of those one of those uh, famous old-time Hollywood actresses who's just done Everything. Absolutely everything. Hey, we have another name, and this is a big name. Playing the host of the dance competition. Jeff Edwards! 
Oh, who did he play in this episode? He played the host of the dancing contest. Oh, what a stretch. Jeff Edwards played a host named The Host. It was indeed a stretch, wasn't it? And we should mention at this time, Jeff Edwards just getting off of Starcade. 40th anniversary of it's this year. Yeah. Yay. Other known entities on this particular episode, Kimberly Foster, who was on 50 episodes of Dallas, and Claudette Wells, who was on the entire run of Square Pegs. My guess is Rival Dancers. Episode 6, Separate Birthdays. Allison decides to live away from Kate for a week. Because ultimately, if you have a show featuring twins, you're going to want an episode that features the twins living separate lives for a bit. Playing a waiter in this episode, Dan Frischman. The Dan from Head of the Class who isn't a creep. Well, that's good. Although I will say... I did watch Good Burger yesterday on Paramount Plus, which is what you do on a Thursday night, apparently. You watch Good Burger on Paramount Plus. And I will say, it still holds up. Oh, and by the way, I didn't realize Linda Cordellini was the girl in the uh in the crazy place that had a thing for Ed. Is there anything Linda Cordellini can't do? No. I'm just wondering why Greg didn't say to me, you need to see Good Burger because Abe Vigoda's in it. I will say Abe Vigoda is the Tony Shalhoub of Good Burger. Oh, jeez. We also have Fred Holiday playing the role of Professor Whitmore, known for six episodes of the original FBI. Not the reboot that is currently airing. The one from the 60s. Right. The original FBI, which has a sequel, which is a future entry, Today's FBI. Episode 7, Heartache. Allison considers having an intimate relationship. Oh, my. Oh, my. (laughs) It's not going to be with uh, Michael because he's obviously with Kate. Maybe with this guy named Stephen, who is played by Harry Crosby, who is known as Bill in the original Friday the 13th. Episode 8, The Bombshell. Art plans to announce his relationship with Beth. Because, you know, all the season long, Beth has been acting like a mother figure to the twins, And Art and Beth have been sort of flirtatious, but not necessarily serious about it. Next thing you know, hey guys, guess what? We're in a family way now, for realsies. Oh. And in this episode, playing the role of Karen, Linda Henning. Now, the name isn't familiar, but her father is. Her father is Paul Henning, legendary TV producer and writer. 
And perhaps that's how she landed the role of Betty Joe on Petticoat Junction. So that's Linda K. Henning there. And that was season one. And I'm going to look on the schedule here because we have to look at the schedule. It was on Wednesday nights at 930 after the Facts of Life, which would be a very solid lead in. There was just one problem. It was on opposite Dynasty. Uh oh! Uh oh! You are going to attract an audience, but not the Dynasty audience. But the thing of it is, because Facts of Life was on in that hour too, the shows kind of sort of meshed well with each other. And the show itself didn't do bad enough to warrant cancellation. But it also didn't do well enough to, you know, say, hey, let's get more episodes. Because it was a mid-season show. So it didn't garner high enough ratings. But here's the thing. People loved the twins. They weren't so enamored with familial antics, but they did love the twins. So, how do we solve this problem? This looks like a job for a retooling. They are going to retool the series and set the twins in New York. Because there's only so much you can do in Des Moines before you kind of get old and busted. We have to have new adventures in a new place. And we have to have these twins going on, you know, following their dreams in a new place. So that's what they're going to do. And we'll see who they do it with right after these era-appropriate commercials. This is the NBC Television Network. You can NBC that, Tonight, the A-Team hits the beach for some fun and to get the job done. Why we don't go up there and just kick some butts? The A-Team, and on an all-new Riptide, the guys face Nazis. I got a disorder! Who want to turn Murray into Big Buzinski. And it's an all-new Remington Steel with a psycho killer and a deadly chase. Tonight... Tonight on Late Night, where can Carl Reiner feel just as comfortable as he would in his own living room? Right here on NBC, the network of the 1980 Moscow Olympics. Natural Wonder says, take your nails to the top. With new improved Natural Wonder Super Nails, it wears 50% longer because now it's 50% stronger. It's tough, but flexible. No chipping, no peeling. Goes for days without a touch-up. Now your nails can stay beautiful 50% longer because Natural Wonder is 50% stronger. New improved super nails by Natural Wonder. Natural Wonder. Name That Tune is back. This fall, match wits when contestants name their favorite songs in battles for $100,000 in cash and prizes. Here are the keys to your brand new car. It's up. 
Join host Jim Lang on the new $100,000 Name That Tune, premiering September 15th at 7.30. Oh, Thursday on Sears, Sam brings his fastball out of retirement. I'm particularly looking forward to the shower afterwards. Cheers. And on Night Court, what's it about Selma that brings out the animal in men? Love can be sickening, can it? And on Hill Street, will J.D.'s undercover tapes have him up on charges? What'd you do, charge 50 cents a head? Thursday. Welcome back. Or if you're just tuning in, where have you been? So before the break, we talked about how everybody loves the twins, but nobody loves the show. Mostly because it was on opposite Dynasty and all the kids were watching Dynasty. Even though with the Facts of Life lead-in, there was an audience for this show. And NBC didn't want to cancel it just yet, so they decided to rejigger the show and give it another shot next season, also as a mid-season replacement. Gone were Donnelly Rhodes and Patricia Richardson, so if you are hoping for anything to come out of that relationship, sorry. But we do have a responsible adult figure living with the twins. Their Aunt Margot. Aunt Margot was played by Barbara Berry a.k.a. Barney Miller's wife. And joining the cast is Michael D. Roberts as a character named Mr. Arecchia. Michael D. Roberts, known as Tyrone C. Earl, in a show that we reference a lot on this show. Wow! Manimal. And rounding out the cast... James Vallelie as Charles Kincaid. He was a writer and producer for Arrested Development, among other things. Jonathan Schmock, an actor, director, producer, writer, and cartoonist who plays Billy Badalato. And Anne-Marie Johnson, who was on the last season of In Living Color. And also, What's Happening Now. And also, In the Heat of the Night. In the heat of the night. And they also had a new theme song, which we'll play here. basically Liz and Jean's love letter to New York City, it looks like. 
So let's go into the second season, the New York season, because nobody ever remembers the Des Moines season. Episode one, if we can make it here, the twins move to New York to live with their aunt. Yep, that's it. That's the episode. Okay, that's the episode. They yeah, but here's it. the thing. What? Uh, David Duclon would stay on as writer, but they would bring in Don Rio, who created Blossom. Whoa, whoa. Already we're going hard on the rejiggering. Episode two. Do you believe in magic? Kate tries to help her boss, a washed up magician. Is it the magician from Super Train? Sadly, no. This is uh, another washed-up magician. Oh, well, I don't care. This magician was Rollo the Great, played by the great Carl Ballantyne. Was he responsible for the beer, Ballantyne beer? No. We talked was... about him. Oh, we yeah, did? we talked about him. Yes, we did. When? It was the, world... it was the world's greatest magician. In what? He was Max Kellerman in One in a Million. Oh, okay. One in a Million. He was not that Max Kellerman. Another guy named Max Kellerman. Yes. He also played uh, innkeeper and waiter in two episodes of When Things Were Rotten and Merlin in an episode of The Ghostbusters. That's cool. But if only he hosted a show with Keyshawn Johnson. Kids would recognize his voice as the voice of Al J. Swindler on Garfield and Friends. Yeah, we referenced Garfield and Friends on this show. Episode 3, Dream Girls. A rock singer offers Kate a job on the road. The said rock singer, Nick Rush. Played by John Scott Cloth. I know I messed that name up, and I'm sorry. He, too, was on an episode of Quantum Leap. So if we're keeping score, that's now five people that were on Quantum Leap? Yes. Okay, what episode? Uh, that would be season five's Memphis Melody. Okay, that's the next to last episode of the original show, where you're not going to believe this, okay? Sam meets a young Bill Clinton. Yes. Oh, I think he leaps into Elvis in this episode. Sam leaps into Elvis. Sam leaps into Elvis. And he meets a young Bill Clinton. And he meets a young Bill Clinton. This explains a lot now. <laughs> the jokes write themselves, folks. Yes. And, and I'm not going to leave you out either, Mike. He was on three episodes of Night Court. I want to hear about him playing uh, Elvis and uh, and meeting young Bill Clinton. Okay. No, I really want to hear more about that. I want to hear about this, too. Let me see what I can do here. Okay, here it is. While impersonating the king, Elvis Presley, Sam must save a Memphis Belle from a bad marriage. So where does Bill Clinton come into play? I'm trying to figure that one out. Oh, it's like a little seed where he meets a young Bill Clinton. It's not, like, central to the plot, but... It's not even in one of the uh, credits here. No, it's like a blinkle your miss it scene. Oh, that's bullshit. 
sorry. But you know who was in that episode? Who? That bastard, Gregory Itson. What? Played Sam Phillips. Oh, well, then yeah, he, he was... played Sam Phillips. Sam Phillips. Did he bust Elvis's kneecap while at Sun Records? <laughs> Maybe that's in the Elvis movie with Tom Hanks. By the way, the sax player, Little Billy C. of Hope, Arkansas. Yeah. Billy C. of Hope, Arkansas. Little Billy C. Little Billy C. Could you imagine the alternate reality where Sam made him a musician instead of a... instead of the president? Oh, boy. I see what you did there. Episode 4. Oh, come all ye faithful. Three guesses what this show's about. Seriously, nothing. Oh, I have an idea what this show's about, but I'm not going to say it. Okay. Kate and Allison are homesick at Christmas. Is that what you were thinking? No. Oh. Based on the title, I was thinking something else. Mike knows where Greg, I was going. Greg, you sicko. No, Greg, you are a sick man. No. Bad. Bad. Go in the corner. Oh, come all you faithful. Oh, I geez. didn't say it. You're implying it close enough. I masturbate a lot. Episode 5 Man for Margot. The twins try to find Mr. Wright for Aunt Margot. Do we know who Mr. Wright is? Well, no. Well, it's we one of two people. One of two people, yes. It's either the person played by Steve Suskind, who is known as the voice of the floor manager on Monsters, Inc., among other things. Or the man played by Robert Hogan, who is known for Paul Diamante in two episodes of Batman 66. Fat Man 66? Batman 66. Oh, Batman 66. I thought it was like a prequel to Jake and the Fat Man. No, but you're giving people ideas now. Someone should make a prequel to Jake and the Fat Man. How great would that have been? Fat Man 66. <laughs> Mike, you'd watch it. Well, was that before he ate the cheese Danish? <laughs> oh, God. Okay, I can go over here and see what happened at the murder scene because I didn't eat the cheese Danish yet. And now, back to Jake and the Fat Man. Hey, look over here on the carpet. That's a cigarette butt. This is probably evidence. What do you think was in that Danish? You think it was cheese? Because I got a little problem with cheese. Hey, I'm talking about evidence here. There's lipstick on it. Yeah, well, can you bring it over to me? I can't move it. This is a crime scene. Well, uh, well can you describe it to me? You know what? Forget it. I'll take care of this, okay? Oh, no, 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 no. Just, uh, just, uh, just, just let me close my eyes for a minute. Look, I know his wife is a smoker. Just yesterday, when we saw her at the country club, she had a cigarette in her hand. Just remember, he has a problem with cheese. Uh, yeah, he does. Okay, so, 
He was also in an episode of... Oh, sorry. Oh, no, do, do it again because I, I was doing his snoring after... Oh, I can't take you people anywhere. Mike, you're so dead now because I... Fat Pants. I literally thought Chico said Fat Pants 66. I was Which like, what? Great errors ever in this show's history. <laughs> Fat Man 66. Okay. That's what happens when you mix Weight Watchers and Route 66. <laughs> uh, he was also in an episode. Can't believe we're bringing this one up. Turnabout. Jeez. But to make it up to you, he was also in an episode of Auto Man. Oh, that's good. And we will talk about him later this year. Oh, damn. I thought you were going to say he was in Fat Man, the animated series. <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. Oh, my good goodness gracious. Of all the dramatic things I've ever seen. Can't take us anywhere. No, I really can't. Episode 6. The Boy Next Door. Billy and Allison go to an awards ceremony. Yeah, they want nothing to happen, but something's totally going to happen. Episode 7. Kate and Allison recall their high school days. All right, so we've established that they've moved on from high school and are now grown-ups, or as grown-up as you could be when you're living with your aunt. The Memories episode aired January 19th, 1985, or my fifth birthday. I got a clip show for my fifth birthday, y'all. Episode 8. Two girls for every boy. Kate's perfect man falls for Allison instead. Corky? You won't believe what happened. Unfortunately, I do not have a listing for who plays the perfect man. But I do have Cousin Harley, played by Michael Young, who was last seen on the soundtrack for Pitch Perfect 2. Hold on. Don't even... No, no, no. Okay, hold on. I want to hear what Greg's going to say, but I have the perfect credit for him, but I'm going to let Greg speak first. Hold on. You said Michael Young. Are you talking about the Texas Rangers baseball player, Michael Young? No. Why did I let Greg speak first? I'm just curious. (laughs) I I should have just talked over him. Mike, save us. Mike, please save us. People of a certain age, like my age would remember him because he hosted Kids or People 2. He did. But he also, did. he was on two weeks of Celebrity Few. Yes, he was. And he was also in Future Entry No Soap Radio. And not to make Greg feel some sort of way, he was on an episode of The New Love American Style. Oh, yes! The New Love American Style! Because as we all know, the old Love America style, that can go f*** itself. We're now in the 80s, and it's the new Love American style. This is where it's at. It's all new. Yeah. <laughs> I never knew Greg was so passionate about new Love American style. Because f*** 
the old love American style. It's all about the new love American style. All I know is that the old love American style did not have Arsenio Hall in it. Damn straight. <sighs> Episode nine. The right stuff. That's the right as in W-R-I-T-E. Scribble, 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 right stuff. Allison's fashion article in the school newspaper gets rave reviews, prompting her to consider a career switch. So now they're going to school in New York? Which, you know, that would, okay, that, now that makes sense. They've done their time in Des Moines. Now they're going to school in New York. Episode 10, commercial break. Allison steps in for voiceless Kate at an audition. Oh, boy. Episode 11, Old Movies. The twins, the boys, and Margot have movie fantasies. I could not tell you what these movie fantasies are. Good! Episode 12, September Song. Allison's mysterious new beau invites her to Paris. And the mysterious new beau, David Burke, played by David Hedison. I'm going to question that, Chico, because do you see how old David Hedison would have been in 1985? Uh, that would be 50-something. 50, 50 okay, regardless, the 50 is all I'm worried about. And he's going out with a teenager? Hmm. That That's would what I'm be, saying. That would be troublesome. So, yeah. I don't think he's the bow, but I do think he is mysterious. But remember, I think we talked about it because he was in Flying High, right? Yes. Okay. Now, I did mention he played Felix Leiter in James Bond in License to Kill and Live and Let Die. Because I mentioned when they did the novel adaptation of License to Kill that they had to keep it in continuity with the upper Bond novels. Because in the novelization of Live and Let Die... He's being eaten by a shark, and then lights the kill. He's being eaten by a shark again, and so James Bond's like, "Oh, I can't believe it! I can't believe my best friend got eaten by a shark twice. What are the odds?" <laughs> Episode thirteen, Funny Girl, a wealthy classmate befriends Allison. Playing said wealthy classmate, "Are you ready for this, boys?" Okay, who is the wealthy classmate? Uh, Janie Blakemore is her name, and she is played by Mindy Cohn. Wow. Natalie herself on the Facts of Life. Doing double duty. Nice. Episode 14, The Day of the Rose. The twins treat Margot to a holiday weekend. Playing a bellman on this episode, Patrick Cranshaw, who played Sheriff Bob in no more than three Air Bud direct-to-video films. I never thought we'd have a mention to the Air Bud direct-to-video films on this podcast. He was also in all 18 episodes as Bob Scannell of 
Aftermath. Hey, two more guys. This is the second episode in a row we've mentioned this show. He was on an episode of Salvage One. This is great. Two straight episodes with a Salvage One reference. Well, hold on. Well, Greg, if you enjoyed a Salvage One reference in two straight shows, you're going to go off the wall when you hear this one. He played a man dying in an elevator in the Gong Show movie. (laughs) What a great role. Man dying in an elevator in the Gong Show movie. Hold on a second. I got a question. Did he run into Diana Muldor in the elevator? Oh, no. Oh, no. Not a Pulaski episode. I really don't want to talk about it. Mike, you set up the joke and Grand Slam. I see you got a solid base hit, but whatever. He turned that into a Pulaski reference. What the heck? And now the final episode from March. Oh, thank heavens. I'm sorry. (laughs) Tell us how you really feel. No. And now the final episode. Where's Papa? Guess who's come to visit? That bastard Donnelly Rhodes? That bastard Donnelly Rhodes has come to visit. Oh, I thought with a title like Where's Papa that Matthew Modine was going to have a cameo in this. I see what you did there, Greg. And that is the show. We're going to revisit the schedule because for season two, they put it on Saturday nights at 830 after different strokes. And this is a week different strokes, right? I want to say penultimate season on NBC different strokes. Yeah, you're right. Second to last NBC season, Chico. All right. So, again, it has an audience, but it doesn't really garner a rating on a Saturday. I mean, who's watching TV on a Saturday? Bet you if viewers wait a year, They'll watch four old ladies on a Saturday night. Just saying. Mm, Yeah. Here's what you are watching on December of 1984. You start out with different strokes. Then you go into double trouble. Then give me a break. So solid 90 minutes there. Then Spencer, which I want to say I remember, but I don't. And you end with Partners in Crime with uh, Linda Carter and Lottie Anderson. And airing opposite Double Trouble and Different Strokes, TJ Hooker and Airwolf. And unless those are reruns, Different Strokes and Double Trouble are not beating them. Or maybe they are, because Different Strokes got a 16 on the first uh, Saturday of 1985. And Double Trouble got a 14.9. TJ Hooker ended up with a 13.6. And Airwolf had a 13.2. So, respectable rating? Opposite these two heavies? But I have to wonder, if it was doing really well, and if CBS decides to, you know, move Airwolf for the equally short-running Otherworld, why did Double Trouble get canceled? 
The world may never know. In the 1983-1984 season, there were 101 TV shows. Does anybody want to guess where Double Trouble ended up? Somewhere in the 70s. 69. <laughs> nice. And not take you any place. In 71st. And they renewed it while it was in 71st. Interestingly enough, uh, the show that placed in 69th, Greg, we've already talked about. Domestic Life. Oh. Not bad, but definitely not something to write home about. So we're going to go from that to 1985 ratings. And there were 77 shows in 84-85. Guess where Double Trouble ranked? 65th. Mike? 58th. Mike, you were closest again, and you will not believe me if I tell you it was a tie for 43rd. Wow. And I will tell you all of the shows that tied for 43rd, only one of which was renewed. T.J. Hooker, The Dukes of Hazard, Magruder and Loud, Street Hawk, Fallops, Bleeps and Blunders, and Double Trouble. T.J. Hooker. That was the only yeah, show that was Because that was the last season of Dukes of Hazard, and yeah. Was that the Coy and Vance season? No, they had one more season with uh, the proper Dukes. Okay, good. So it did respectable, but I imagine that there's going to be a bit of fence straddling on NBC's part because this was basically uh, Brandon Tartikoff seeing hey I wonder what's going to happen here and I'm looking at the 1985 Saturday schedule I see why they opted for uh, something else because 1985 fall of 1985 would be the first season for 227, four ladies from Washington, D.C., and also four ladies from Miami. That Saturday schedule, which would hold up incredibly well, Give Me a Break, The Facts of Life, The Golden Girls, and 227. You see The Golden Girls, you see Promise. You see 227, you see Promise. You see Double Trouble, you see No Promise. That hey, it was not for lack of trying. There was only so much space on the schedule. But do not cry for the careers of Liz and Jean Seagal. They're doing fine. Jean has been the director for so many solid shows nowadays. Two and a Half Men, Two Broke Girls, Mom, Last Man Standing, and Fuller House. Sister Liz, she's also doing fine. She's more of a writer nowadays. She's written for Lost in Space, the reboot, Da Vinci's Demons, Sons of Anarchy, Charmed, Two Guys, a Girl in a Pizza Place, Brotherly Love, 
Cowboy Bebop, the flight attendant, and Monk. Monk! Well, you know who was on Monk. I know who was on Monk. That's right, Tony Shalhoub. And as we all know from episode 300, for the first time ever, I said that I loved Wings and that it made Tony Shalhoub's career. Can you believe, guys, that it's now been 41 episodes since I mentioned for the first time ever on this podcast, I love Wings? I know. It's been a while. Fun fact, I mentioned Sons of Anarchy. Created by her brother-in-law, Kurt Sutter. And starring her sister, Katie Seagal. The Seagal twins are doing fine. Uh, The show has been unofficially released on DVD, if you know where to look. The show is also available online to stream, also if you know where to look. Did you hear the wink? Wink. Yeah. And there you go. We had twins getting into troubles, setting the plate for such filler as Sister Sister, which is not filler, it's actually awesome. Picking up the slack for the Patty Duke show, setting the table for Sister Sister, and all the while, because this did air in reruns on USA for a while, probably longer than it did on uh, Network, but all the while giving us this thing on TV. We're going to get into some trouble of our own by uploading this to our website. It was a thing on TV.com. You'll find all of our episodes there, all of our live watches, all of our mini-sodes, links to all of our socials at It Was A Thing On TV on all the socials except for Facebook because somebody played Twin to us and took It Was A Thing On TV. So we're left with It Was A Thing On TV podcast. You can go there, and if you're also on the YouTube, we're there. Just don't forget to like, subscribe, smash the notification bell so you can stay up to date with all of our entries including what we have for later this week, because we have a mini-show to talk about. We love our commercials, but this one, I don't think we can find a place for it on the schedule, so we're just going to go ahead and cover it this week, because it is kind of sort of weird. And also, it's a makeup from a mini-show. And next week, a couple of questions to ponder. First, we're going to ask, what happens when a character dies? And then we're going to ask, what happens when the star dies? And if we have time, we're going to ask, what happens when a star wants to leave for their own show, and you get Jim Caldwell to replace them? All of that is coming in the week ahead, right here on It Was a Thing on TV. Well, hold on, guys. Uh, before I, hold on. Before I do the roar, guys. Okay. Now, last week, Chica, we did a live show for uh-huh. WCW Starcade '95, right? Yes, we did. It was awesome. Well, for the first time ever on this podcast, we're gonna do an eBay prices right. That's not related to this episode. So let's play the music.
okay, guys, you are going to be bidding on this item that I got today in the mail. It is a Just Toys WCW Bendum of Lex Luger. For some reason in green trunks. I don't know why he's in green trunks. I don't remember him ever wearing green trunks. But okay. I got this today. You're going to be bidding on what I paid for it in a buy it now offer. Not the buy it now price. Just the offer. Okay. Okay, so you made a best offer and he accepted. Yes. Now, I know Greg doesn't like money, so I'm going to guess $50. Mike? I know Greg doesn't like money, but I don't think he's going to pay that much. I'm going to severely undercut you and say $5. dollars six ninety nine. dollars For a serious? Yes. And, you know, it was seven ninety nine, so I, I had it for a dollar cheaper. And with free shipping, too. This is going to make a nice piece. But that's not the reason why I'm doing this, okay? I want to mention that there was a WCW Bendum in Argentina for Eligante. It was an Argentinian exclusive for Eligante, a Bendum. And you know what? Sadly, he does not have the belt. But, but he wants the belt. He wants the belt. But guess what? For the first time ever, we're doing a non-eBay prices right not related to this episode. <laughs> so play the sexy sax music. Okay, guys, you are going to be bidding on this item I saw at Milo Toys and Collectibles in Oakdale, New York. Now, it is a WWF Hasbro figure of the giant Gonzalez El Gigante himself. He has this mean mug on his face. Like, I want the belt. Okay, Mike, I'm going to start the bidding with you. Okay, is this the Argentinian import? No, this is another figure. This is the WWF Hasbro figure. This was released oh, in the okay. States. Not like the WCW Bendum, so. Okay, oh, okay, okay. Oh, boy. Uh, hmm. You know, I bid $14 on it if he had a belt, but without a belt, I'm going to drop it down to 10 10 Chico. I'm going to bid $14 if he's not going to bid $14. Well, okay. You assume there's a belt there then. Okay. I see what you're doing. $25. Okay, I, I want yeah, the belt. Bucks. Yeah. I, I, I thought it was going to be like like $30. So I, I know Greg didn't buy it, but also at the same time, we all know Greg and money have a love-hate relationship. He, he loves to hate keeping it. I did get a Roddy Piper figure though, and just Is it remember, from LJN or no? It's a Hasbro. Oh, nice. I don't mean to break this to you, what? but if you take a look at the second picture that you sent us, oh. you can see the price. You can see it says twenty something, so you could probably make out twenty five there because there's a corner. You gave us the price. You should have looked at the full picture. I didn't even see it. 
that's why I said I'm looking at it full screen, and you can see it says 1994 Hasbro Giant Gonzala, and then it says uh, there's a dollar sign, a two, and you can see a corner there, uh, so you know it's got to be like a five. If we just looked at it full screen, we would have had the price, Chico. Come on. We uh, blew it. Blew it. Good Can't job believe. editing that, Greg. But look at Andre the Giant. Right He's just him. staring into space, the Andre the Giant. And the big, the big boss man there. Oh, the, the big, big boss, boss man, man is like... Staring into space. Oh, yeah, the big boss man's like, oh, whatever. And about, like, nine years or so, I'm going to cook house those dogs on SmackDown, and I'm going to admit to the Big Show's mom that the Big Show was a bastard. Oh, my. And Andre the Giant there looks like somebody said to him just out of the blue, hey, turn around! And he just took a picture. Huh? You want me to turn around? What? No, it's not. It's, it's Andre the Giant, not Tom Poston. Well, I was say, apparently Andre the Giant was doing his Tom Poston impersonation. Anybody want a peanut? Stop that rhyming now. I mean it. Anybody want a peanut? Okay, yeah, but that does it for now. And we'll see you with that mini soap later on this weekend. Wow! Prepare for trouble and make it double. Jesse James. Team Rocket, last off at the speed of light. Surrender now, or prepare to fight. Oh, Me, that's right. Bob of that. Movie for a rained out ball game now returns to Diane Cannon, Troy McClure, and the Muppets in the 1977 film The Muppets Go Medieval. Miniso 24, submission 2426. The Morgan and Morgan Metaverse commercial. Well, guys, I got to be honest with you. This is a makeup mini-sode from something that we were going to do last month, but we decided for the first time ever we we're going to scrap that mini-sode entirely because we felt like the mini-sode wasn't appropriate for you guys. So we decided to scrap that, and we decided to come back at you with something else down the line. And, well, this is now. So, I found this one day while watching college football on TV. And this ad just popped up on CBS2 here in New York. And I watched this ad, and I said to Mike and Chico, this ad is the stupidest commercial I've ever seen, but also, it's hilarious. This is a commercial for a law firm called Morgan & Morgan. Now, in the year 2023, we're entering now. It's all about the metaverse, right, guys? Would this be the same metaverse that gave us It Was a Thing on TV podcast? Yeah, because of something with the algorithm. I don't know. The Facebook algorithm, I'm going to be quite honest with you guys, is stupid. Yes. It really is stupid. And I should know after some events in the past week as we're recording this. But I'm not going to get here and there for right now. So, okay, guys, I'm going to play this commercial for you guys. And, well, I want to hear your reactions to this. Now, Mike, you've never seen this, right? Never, never even heard of it. Okay, well, 
Get ready, guys. Let me play it for you. I'm John Morgan of Morgan & Morgan. As millions flock to the metaverse, many are experiencing unnecessary pain and suffering, terrible car crashes, frightening trip and falls, and on-the-job injuries. Our army of over 800 attorneys and 4,000 support staff have recovered billions for clients just like you. Injured? Just dial pound law. That's all. Morgan & Morgan, America, and now the universe's largest injury law firm. Okay, there's so many things I wanted to describe without this commercial. First, okay, at the, like, eight-second mark, you have this very crappy-looking car crash. Yeah. It looks like it was done in Minecraft. Yeah. Well, the whole commercial looks like it was uh, done by the people who did Dire Straits' Money for Nothing video. That's exactly what it looks like. It was done in, like, the same tools from the Dire Straits video. But the one guy, like, trips over some logs and... John Morgan, like, turns around after he watches this and just gives a face to the camera like, Oh? Oh? Look at him. He's like, Oh? Like, what is going on? And then we see this miner and some things, like some rocks just fall on him, and John Morgan is just standing there with his shoulders and just shaking his head like, Son, I am disappointed. The whole mine collapsed. Not just some stuff fell on him. The mine collapsed. The entire mine has collapsed on him. So he is severely injured. His metaverse character is severely injured. I'm surprised his metaverse avatar isn't dead. Well, I got a question. How could you exactly be injured in the metaverse? I I, I got nothing. Like, it's not real. Yeah, same. I've got nothing. It's like NFTs and crypto. Not real. Not real. So why would you need an attorney in the metaverse? And then <laughs> then we see John Morgan and his entire firm walking to the camera and then heading to the airplane like it's the scene with the astronauts and the right stuff. Yeah, and it's all done in Sega Saturn level graphics. Yeah, that old. It might have been rendered on a Sega Saturn for all we know. I mean, that that guy with the beard looks a lot like Jeffrey from Virtua Fighter, just saying. You know what? This commercial could have used Sega Tashanshiro. That's a future entry, Sega Tashanshiro. And then we see all these Metaverse characters like, oh yeah, we need to we need this John Morgan guy with Morgan and Morgan. Yeah, that's what it's all at. It's like, yup. And then we see John Morgan going out on a ledge talking about how Morgan and Morgan is now America and the universe's largest entry law firm. And we see like giant billboards and a blimp with Morgan and a bus and, ad. And a bus ad. So, yeah, he's got the entire metaverse cornered. Uh, and I love the fact that they have the disclaimer. It's like, 
The lawyers responsible for this ad are licensed in Florida and may rely on co-counsel for some or all of the cases. The choices of a lawyer is an important decision and should never be based solely upon an advertisement. Duh. And if you based your decision on this ad, what the hell is wrong with you? They had a shitty Minecraft car collision. And then there was that Second Life mine collapse. Or was it a Second Life uh, stair fall? Oh, the Second Life stair fall was hilarious. And then the mine collapsing was hilarious, too. And then he just stared at the guy getting collapsed on by the mine. Yeah, he got the mine collapsed on him, and he just stood there shaking his head. Why did he do anything to stop the mine from collapsing? Why did he save the guy? Why couldn't he stop the mine collapse? He's not Superman. Why did he not go save the guy trapped under the rubble? He's probably dead. Now, hold on, Mike. I got an explanation for why Superman wasn't there. We all know he's missing an arm now. So it's like, how could he save him? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he lost his arm at the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade in 1986. That was a shame. That was a shame. Yeah, well, John Morgan of Morgan and Morgan, this was an insane ad. But you know what? You did give us this amusing thing on TV. All I got was, yeah, uh, if my avatar dies... I don't have to pay unless we win. Is that the gist of the ad here? I guess. Possibly. I, I sort of took away from it. Money for nothing and your chicks for free. Don't say it did not look like the animation from Money for Nothing. It, oh, it, it did. It, it did. Yeah. It totally did. Totally did. That's what the kids are into now. Yeah, everyone loves 1980s music videos. That's what all the kids are into on YouTube. And Minecraft. Everyone loves Minecraft. Okay, well that does it for this mini-sode. And we'll see you with some more stuff down the pike.